0: All right, good morning, everybody. All right. We, uh, I think we're on chapter 23 for those who have a book or those who decided to read it. doesn't really matter, though, because uh, we're going to read the Bible anyway, so I don't think, I think that's the most important part. Um, uh, a, a point of business keeping, make sure you sign the attendance sheet. We want to have really high numbers here at St. John because we are about the numbers. <laughs> Hence, sarcasm. Just kidding. No, usually, usually I, uh, I, I don't say anything about that and then it looks like no one came and then because no one signs it. Uh, it's worse for confirmation youth Bible study. Sundays, pretty much anything I'm involved in, we don't keep attendance. So, <laughs> <laughs> probably not a good idea. We should probably do that to that we actually have people coming to these things. Although the people who do show up to those things actually know that they that I'm here, and surely you know I'm at confirmation, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, turn to Luke chapter 12 um verse 13 and following the parable of the rich fool also have a teaching outline in the back but that's just for me you're welcome to have one or not have one i don't think it really matters but it's to keep me on task The yes, it is in the book, if you, if you don't want to use your Bible. Since I don't have a book, though, I have to use the Bible. I'm teasing, I have it upstairs. I didn't bring it along, so, yes. Yeah, do we have extra books? Oh, good. Well, if anybody would like a book, there we go, never mind, perfect. I did not know that. Life is full of surprises. All right, Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced... Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. All right. Um, You know, reading this Bible passage, you're probably thinking of, you know, Fight Club, like me, right? You're thinking about Tyler. Uh, Fight Club. I have to admit, the first time I seen Fight Clubs was at Leslie Adams' house. Leslie Adams happened to be walking in right now. Uh, Fight Club is a movie. Mary, were you there at the when I we saw that? I did not partake of the movie, but I was there. You were hanging out with the adults. Okay. <laughs> Fight Club, Ed Norton, Brad Pitt, um and then uh, the lady that's in all the Tim Burton movies, which I can't remember her name. Yes, what is it? Helena There we go. Helena Barham oh, Barma. Yeah, she's in it too. Anyways, you might say to yourself, Pastor, that is not a good movie to watch. It is rated R. Uh, this is true. Um, I find it very interesting, though. And the scene that is interesting to me is, uh, well, first of all, what is Fight Club? The movie takes place. There's a man named Ed Norton. He is stuck in a dead-end job, some kind of mid-level manager, lives in a, a very nice condo and a tall building has all the the right stuff he's interested in ikea i think right it's like it's he's interested in catalogs getting all the right kind of appliances and furniture and clothing and storage so um uh but lo and behold uh one night he meets this guy named tyler durden or or i can't remember how to pronounce his name but tyler and uh I'm sorry, not not night after, uh, it's on an airplane, they meet. And uh, after the airport, they hang out, and I think they go to the bar, and they have a few too many, and then they start this thing called the fight club. They actually beat up on each other, which makes obvious sense. But if anybody has boys, boys have a tendency to, to bang on each other. That's just what happens. So that makes complete sense to me as a boy. (laughs) but then things get even weirder. This Fight Club is a secret, like, group, and the first rule of Fight Club is don't talk about Fight Club. So you never talk about Fight Club. Anyways, uh, this organization gets, uh, the club gets a little bit bigger, and then there's clubs that start in different cities, and Tyler turns out to be, like, this kind of charismatic leader about the Fight Club even though the Ed Norton character is kind of the guy who the movie follows. Anyways, there's a scene where he's... So you have all, this men, all these men who meet in these underground areas, and they fight each other. They just beat up on each other. And strangely enough, that this kind of gives them um, a reason to live. But what is interesting is this little kind of... Uh, solilo- solilo- no, no. This would be a monologue. Right, monologue. You speak to people. The soliloquy. You speak to yourself. Right. Okay. I've seen in Fight Club the smartest, strongest men who have ever lived. I've seen all this potential, and I see it squandered. An entire generation pumping gas, waiting tables, slaves with white collars, advertising has has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy stuff we don't need. Stuff is. That's not a literal <laughs> rendering. We're the middle children of history. Man, no purpose, no place. We have no great war, no great depression. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars, but we won't. We're slowly learning that fact, and we are very, very angry. All right. That's, that's what came to mind. Now, many rush to this sort of interpretation, which is more of a traditional understanding of the Scripture, and that's from St. Augustine, who's a really smart dude, and we should pay attention to what he says. So, um, uh, Yeah, maybe, I guess. He, uh, so he, being the guy in the parable. So uh, Augustine, even though he's talking about a text on Proverbs, is making reference to the, uh, Luke chapter 12. He was hoarding perishable crops. I repeat, he was hoarding perishable crops while he was on the point of perishing because he had handed out nothing to the Lord before whom was due to appear. How will he know where to look? When at that trial he starts hearing the words, I was hungry and you did not give me to eat. Give me food to eat. I guess I. He was planning to fill his soul with. Ex- "'excessive and unnecessary feasting, "'and was proudly disregarding all those empty bellies of the poor. "'He did not realize that the bellies of the poor "'were much safer storerooms than his barns. "'What he was stowing away in those barns "'was perhaps even then being stole away by thieves. "'But if he stowed it away in the bellies of the poor, "'it would, of course, be digested on earth, "'but in heaven it would be kept all the more safely. "'The redemption of a man's soul is his riches.' Now, um, I, both uh, actually, I think both of these are true. Both of these interpretations are true. Uh, so, Augustine. But I think most of us just default to the, kind of the Augustine kind of understanding of the Scripture. But what I always like... so learn how to work this microphone. Uh, what I always like to do is see the Scripture, uh, you know, according to the larger backdrop, the larger tapestry. So... This parable, actually, is part of a string of teaching that Jesus begins in uh, verse 1, Luke chapter 12. So, it's uh, what happens is that Jesus is teaching his disciples, this group, but there is a bunch of craziness going on around him. At the end of uh, chapter 11, the Pharisees are out to get him, to trap him so they can kill him. And then in verse, I think it's verse 1, yes, in the meantime, that's in the meantime while people are trying to kill him, or trick him into what he says so they can accuse him of blasphemy and then put him to death. In the meantime, when so many thousands of of the people had gathered together, they were trampling one another. So we have this mob of people trampling one another, and we have in the larger circle Pharisees trying to trap him. In the midst of that kind of chaos, Jesus is with his disciples. It's time to teach. So picture this Picture this image, right? I, I picture an English soccer game going crazy while the fans are breaking down the fences, running on the field, punching one another, trampling over one another, and Jesus decides to have a little picnic and teach what's going on. So that's very important for us to understand what's happening then in the parable of the rich fool because that context then sets the stage for the teaching and for the application. So, um, so it, you know, if you take the parable out of that context, then the Augustan understanding or interpretation is very simple and that's clean cut. Okay, yeah, we're not supposed to let the possessions run our lives. And we need to think about the poor, although that's not what Jesus actually says. I have a tendency to try to take Jesus seriously. And he doesn't actually say that only, okay? He doesn't say give it to the poor, does he? Nope. Okay. Other parts of Luke he does, though, so. Okay. Um, Okay, an interruption that doesn't overwhelm. So in the midst of this chaos, we have some guy who breaks through And says to Jesus, hey, tell my brother to divide the stuff. Um, But Jesus isn't distracted. But in, in fact, uses this interruption to continue along with what he's already doing. What is he doing? He's teaching about discipleship. What it means to be a disciple in the midst of an English soccer crowd gone crazy. Okay. Now, the thing is, though, since Luke chapter 9, verse 30, at the transfiguration, Jesus meets Moses and Elijah to discuss this departure that's going to happen in Jerusalem. And then in 9, verse 51, Jesus sets out towards Jerusalem. He sets his face towards Jerusalem. And now we're on this journey towards Jerusalem. So along the way, we're reminded every now and then that Jesus is going to Jerusalem. So he's got got one thing on his mind, and yet people keep breaking into his life, but he doesn't stop him. Remember what the symbol of Luke is, right? The finials on the lectern, Lucas is an ox. Jesus is an ox in Luke because he plods along And, you know, like an ox, you know, nothing's going to move an ox. But he's just going to keep going down the line. Okay. Um, So that's important, too. So Jesus is focused on what's most important. He's really focused on what's what's happening. All right, so that's the backdrop. Chaos, Jesus teaching about discipleship, and Jesus' life that's focused on what's best. All right, now the first thing, you know, there's a lot of interesting things in the Bailey text, but the one thing that I wish you would expand it on was this understanding of rights versus gifts. I think that's very important for us here in the United States. The brother who is speaking to Jesus is most likely a younger brother because the older brother in this type of society, even all the way up, I mean, many of you, your uh, uh, ancestors, probably came to the United States for this very reason. My own Great-grandfather came to the United States. Great-grandpa Hans came to the United States because he was the younger brother, because the older brother got the farm. So this is the same situation. Although while great-grandpa Hans came from a poor family, the man in Scripture most likely came from a a, a rich family, or so Bailey thinks, and I, I think that's kind of interesting. So he was the younger son of a rich father. Now, Jesus isn't about to get into the middle of this brotherly feud because he is focused on what's most important. Now, the thing is, though, Jesus very well could have. That's, that's within his right as a rabbi, Bailey kind of says. You know? This is what happened in the Old Testament. This is probably what happened in middle, East, middle Eastern society. But is Jesus, what is he most concerned about? Getting to Jerusalem. That's very important for us. He's focused on this thing that's ahead of him, even though this this interruption is good and right. Meaning, this you know, this is part of who he is as a rabbi. He's not going to let that dissuade him from going. But at the same time, he sa- he basically tells the guy, "I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to do it." And then Jesus tells a parable to who? Now we got to read the text carefully because we always think he's talking to. The guy, right? But he's talking to them. Now, them might include the guy, but them for sure is the disciples. His main audience is the disciples. So we know for sure it's the disciples, those who are already answered the call of Jesus and are part of the group, part of the way towards Jerusalem. And it might include the guy who asked this question. That's why I think it's important for us, because we always think Jesus is talking to the guy, right? This lesson is mainly for the guy, somebody who has a lot of possessions. But in fact, it's for, uh, for, the, for the disciples. So what is Jesus saying to the disciples? Okay, again, to I just want to reiterate that Jesus is on his way to do his thing. This good thing, meaning being a judge or arbitrator, This good thing has now entered into his life, and Jesus says no to the good thing. Jesus teaches the disciples that what you have isn't a right, but a gift. I think that's important for us here in the United States because we always talk about rights, fundamental rights. Um, And uh, uh, there's some theological issues with that. but, But what Jesus is talking about is beware of covetousness, the belief that things are mine. I can lay claim to this, because this is mine. And the younger brother is saying, that stuff is mine. Well, is it really his? Well, no, it's not. In fact, not only is the guy's inheritance, his older brother's, quote-unquote, possession, not his, but even the stuff that he has is not his. But it is a gift, and that's important for us because uh, gifts can't be claimed, right? They can't say that is mine. Gifts are always received. Now, we, in our vernacular way of saying is, uh, what, you know, what gift did you get? Well, I, I got a uh, pair of shoes. Those shoes are mine. That's how we talk. But in the absolute sense, we have to remind ourselves that those, these pair of shoes that I wear, they're an older gift. Um, they were given to me. They weren 't mine initially. they were given to me and now the thing is though, when something is given to you it's given to you for a like a purpose, obviously to put on my feet to use in fact actually these were used they, they were given to me for church work. <laughs> they were given to me to to wear with my clerical collars on my sunday morning and these were like my day to day shoes, and then I have my my uh Shoes that, that have the the big toe on it that people make note of, that was for Sunday morning. But I was given for a purpose. That was a very good purpose, great purpose. But uh, I don't wear these. I don't wear my Sunday shoes, you know, playing basketball. That just doesn't make sense. Why? Because that's not why they were given to me. Now I'm getting really like philosophical about shoes right now. <laughs> Hopefully you can uh, see the broader picture. I'm trying to use an analogy. The reality is that gifts gifts cannot be claimed, but they are received as they are given. So the stuff in your life is not your life. That is is kind of clear in in the, the, the Scripture. We live one day at a time when it comes to stuff. That would have been another thing that Kenneth Bailey would have been interesting to play out a little bit more, is the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our... Daily bread. There's a, there's a double emphasis on there. Just in case you missed the first one, you get the second one. The reality, though, is it's not just daily bread, but all that. Uh, this would be the small catechism. That's what I was thinking about it this morning. Maybe reading it in the. Uh, it's not just bread, but everything that pertains to your, to your life, including your life. That's why the Lord's Prayer, when one is dying, is probably the most important prayer because it reminds you and it sets the right expectations that today is the day the Lord has made. Not this week, this year. It is today. And the only day you have to live is today. You can't live yesterday and you can't live tomorrow, but you live today. So we live one day at a time when it comes to stuff. And we receive the stuff as a gift in order to live life, not to have it be our life. So, that's where my shoes, (laughs) if I start claiming them as mine, then all of a sudden my life now becomes about my shoes. I know it seems kind of, it kind of seems silly, but there's things in our lives we actually treat with that kind of uh, level of, of respect and love, false love. That we are so concerned about something that now our life is about it, rather than the thing serving us and helping us live. All right. Now, having so many things now, if you, if you ask yourself now I didn't proofread this a lot, but I did this morning. And I did intentionally have some wordiness in here because we're going to go back at the end to kind of change a few things, and this would be one of them, having so many things. A rich man gets richer, uh, so the, the parable Jesus tells. A rich man gets richer by doing nothing. I mean, he can't cause the sun to come out. He can't cause the rains to come. He gets a bumper crop. He gets this extra food, extra wealth. Um. Leonard Sperberg, great, he was a great guy. He was from Wausau, Wisconsin. He died last year uh, in February, around this time. And um, he, uh, he died like, uh, he was old, upper 90s. And while he was a young man, he worked for a Chicago container company, I think it was called, which made, like, train containers. And through acquisitions of other companies, his stock grew exponentially. Nothing by, by what he had done. He didn't he actually did nothing. It just happened. And lo and behold, he had he had an extra few hundred thousand dollars. He said, I didn't do anything for this. So him and his wife decided to give half to St. Mike's and then half to St. John. That's just what he did. I mean, it was like he was just talking about his lunch when he was talking about this. This is just matter of fact. This is what you do Um, because he already had enough to live on. I mean, he there was no there was no question about like living. You know, like oh hey, this is going to be a big sacrifice. No, I mean, this was extra stuff, and we don't need it, so we're going to give it away. Now he also had a daughter who uh, who was the man in the scripture who came and said, how dare you take my money? And she asked for it back. While Leonard was still alive. Big source of contention. Um, we won't get into all that. But a very emotional perspective. Now, of course, Leonard gave this money to the church. Both him and his wife gave this to the church like way before I even became a pastor. Um, So I'm like, uh, well, you know, it's done and over with. I mean, your dad did this. I mean, it's fine. Now, did she, was she poor and living on the street? No. In fact, Leonard had inheritance for her already. So the man who comes up to Jesus is a son, younger son of a rich father. This happens in real life. I mean, this is probably the most stark analogy To what can happen to people? However, you stick around. If you would like to spend a year with a pastor, especially as we deal with funerals, this comes up often. I say I follow the lead of Jesus, and I don't get involved. (laughs) It is not my. It is. uh, I actually I should start quoting this. I didn't think about this. (laughs) Yeah. Let's see here. What did I say? I lost my place here. Where am I, man? Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you, man, woman? Yeah, just say that. Hey, oh my gosh, I, I probably even a lot worse than yeah, a pastor. There, yes. Oh my word. The Meadowlands, the yep. not okay. the stadium. But well, wait, yeah, but that was before they knew it was. So they inherited this
1: huge, it was worth $20 million. Okay.
0: And they all were fighting over, they should have gotten more, and so it was in the courts for 10 years, and then it became, then they realized it was actually toxic land. <laughs> it was worth nothing. So had they all, had they all accepted their Yes. Care? All right, so when Jesus, God says, fool, this night, your soul is required of you. Well, okay, so here's the thing. This happens a lot. And, and these, these, these events in our life help us to kind of put flesh and bones on this parable. Now, the reason why, though, I, I want to kind of throw it back on the Fight Club quote is that a lot of us don't have an opportunity to inherit $20 million worth of land. That doesn't happen a lot. I mean, that's not, like, usual. Um, And that's why Jesus is not talking to the man, but talking to the disciples. Because what have the disciples done right now? Think about what Jesus... In terms of possessions. I'm sorry. They've given up everything. They don't have anything. So, you know, so what's going on here? Uh, on, On one side, you don't have to have everything to let possessions run your life. In fact... Oftentimes, when you have nothing, you, you're just as, as guilty as the rich person. You think about stuff all the time and let stuff run your life. Um, actually, Shirley Ziegler was at one time. We had a woman who came in uh, on a Wednesday night in confirmation, and uh, she needed $32.58. and like cents. I don't know what it was. It was a very specific number for a train ticket to Peoria. The thing is, though, so she had $100 in her hand. Now, I don't know if you guys know anything about Amtrak. A, a ticket to Peoria is probably 25 bucks. I mean, it's it's she, yeah. Um, so I, I you, yeah. I mean she yeah she looked like a, yeah she didn't look like she was wearing tattered clothes and holes in her shoes and you know she looked like normal. But she was very concerned about this and she needed to get to Peoria. She needed whatever the specific number. Well, I, I was like, well, I don't have, I don't have any, I didn't have any cash, um, you know, um, and just surely gave her a ride to the metro station, right? I didn't give her cash. Right, right. Just gave her a ride to the metro station. You know, we helped as we could, but but I'm thinking here, I'm like, holy smokes, you you have enough money to get what you you're asking for, why are you so set on this? And, you know, she got angry, and I wasn't really too concerned about debating this issue, so we just were like, you know, we'll help out in the way we can. But that's a good example of somebody who perceives not having everything or anything, but yet at the same time is is, is uh, possessed by one's possessions. Oh, you well, you can't get rid of your... Yeah, actually, you can, and that's why Jesus in the next section says what he says. But... Okay, now here's the thing, though, is a rich man can't say no to his stuff. So this guy is so set on this stuff. Now, another guy, Bill Groff, he is a fantastic, he was a fantastic man here at St. John. This is nothing bad about him, but this is the reality of his family, and that's why I mention it, because we have talked about this, him and his family. His wife, Bernice, now is living with her, her uh, uh, daughters out in Arizona and Seattle. But Bill could not let go of anything. I mean, he his basement, was he was an old engineer. He worked on TVs. I mean, he had old tube TVs. He was a handyman. I mean, he kept nuts and bolts. Very similar to another person in my life, i.e., my grandfather. That's exactly how my He's an too. They just, they got to have it. Now, I said to Bill, Bill Groff, I mean, he was such a sweet guy. He's like, Pastor, I have this really nice uh, TV that was a piece of furniture. You know, like you had, it was like, A council, yes, a council. Oh yeah, I mean, I I thought those were cool things back in the day, right? He's like, oh, it works perfectly. I was like, Bill, you know, they don't, we don't use tube TVs anymore. That doesn't work. But it's still really nice. I want you to have it. I was like, no, I'm not going to have it, Bill. Okay. Uh, But I mean, he was so set on this, like, so he, you know, and I think it was a product probably because he was, he lived through the depression and a lot of that stuff but it just goes to show now the thing is though when he died and bernice moved they had to have a an estate sale and the i don't know if anybody those? There, i those mean, it's junk yeah right it was like 50 years ago. yeah i mean sweet guy now here's the thing though i got a nice rototiller from him so i'm not complaining <laughs> <laughs> um but it was one of those things where bernice and her grandson and i would work it where i would have my shut-in visit with him and they would go and start throwing stuff out while he was distracted (laughs) so the thing is though is this uh, bill treasured this stuff and then when it came to to getting rid of it it was in the trash so I actually did write that right. One man's treasure is another man's trash. It's usually, I think, the other way around, right? One man's trash is another man's treasure. Uh, in this case, no. So the idea is that building bigger barns for perishable crops, that, that makes no sense whatsoever because it's going to turn into trash. So... The weird thing is, I have an aunt who is like that. She, I
1: would say she's a Hoarder, hoarder yeah, right.
0: Right. But it's almost a to memories. Sure. The thing built up she, we, she built right. And we just go, she is the man with the barn. <laughs> Well, it, actually, I mean, the, how this gets. How say, go this? When you right. This Right, it's it's so important. That's right. Now, is the, now this is where I mean it's a weird like sort of good memories. Like, oh, Yeah, oh yeah, right. <laughs> now, that's where that's where we as as family and people have to be sensitive because I mean, they actually believe that this is that important. It's not like it's a malicious Now, see the man in the parable has a little malicious side to him, like this greedy side of things. Now, The thing is, though, there is an element of greed in that story, but it's not to the level of the detriment of others, meaning I want to keep this food, and I'll let other people starve to death. It's not like that. But there is an element of I can't let this go because my life is in these things. Now, um, nostalgia is a dangerous thing, I think. Now that you brought it up, uh, I'm going to... We'll chit chat about this. It's a dangerous thing because when you keep the things that remind you of certain events in your life, the actual uh, your memory is not really the memory of the actual event. As much as you can believe it, it's not. It's usually a sanitized version of it, cliff notes of what actually happened, <laughs> where you remember the most important parts, which usually are the either the best parts or the worst parts but definitely not the normal parts and when you remember the best parts now that becomes not a a truth or a real thing but a fantasy and now you're living in what kind of world a fantasy world that's actually not based on reality one of the things, too, though, is what happens here in terms of the, the difference between right, like I didn't even notice the baby crying until everyone turned around. Rachel, you're doing great. That's all I'm going to say. Back him. You know, he's really, he's like, "Why well, how can you say this? I want my mom to keep my stuff. I'm a special guy. <laughs> now, um, it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, actually, there's a bit of irony in that, isn't there, Rachel? Because a kid on the first birthday, we have a, a Penelope's first birthday tomorrow. And, you know, there's so much junk that comes on the first birthday. And you're like, "This Penelope's not going to even remember this stuff. Like, what, what are we doing? Yeah, so, you know, I know, they're all her they're cute outfits, that's right. So, I, I didn't think about all this. This, this. this parable is very applicable on many levels. But anyways, but the idea about nostalgia is that when you start, uh, your life is in things, oftentimes those things conjure up events that aren't really, really true. And that becomes a, a, actually a sadness because those who might remember what really happened then can't actually relate to you know, this, the other person who lives in the fantasy land. And even if the person remembers it in such a different way, now becomes a sign of conflict or brokenness. And that, that's kind of a bummer. Anyways, Carol. Off of um, memories, although, in addition, before I go to Yeah, that, right. You also remember things as you were at a certain age. Right. So the perspective is the perspective of a six-year-old. Sure, yeah, right. That's good, that's good, yeah. What struck me um, back when we were talking, yeah. all these barns and, and this, this man, Right. Uh, what Bailey brought out that I hadn't thought of before is he's talking to himself. Self. As he brought up in this culture, all decisions. Right. Whether you're going to wash the dishes or yeah, buy, right. buy a field, you spoke to someone. Right. He had no one. Right. He's so engrossed. Yep. Just from this little bit. And just in himself. Mm hmm. In his acquisitions. Well, no, I mean, not even in his acquisitions. Just in that's his all part own. and parcel. Yeah, exactly. So actually, yes, right. And and then you think of, well, our own lives. Right. You know, some, and we're just so engrossed in. Yep. The, kind of what, the, yeah. Ourselves. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Mm-hmm. But that's where I'm headed to, Carol. Now, the one thing is that. Um, so, so the whole point of uh, living life as a gift is day to day. And so w- that's important for us to remember is that today is the only day we can live. We can't live what happened when we were a six-year-old. The thing is, though, so what happens uh, as, we're, as we're six years old does participate in today. But it doesn't actually make today. That, that's, that it doesn't create what we are today. We don't live like we're a six-year-old. So I don't want to necessarily think that we live one day in isolation of all other days, like um, uh, Groundhog Day. <laughs> okay, but now, let's uh, Carol, a good segue, because the results of, of this rights and having so many things, or the, the confusion of rights versus gifts and having so many things, what are the results? They're quite tragic. Broken relationships, a presumed broken relationship, we, we, I'm presuming he had a relationship before he started talking to himself. Um, he is worried about himself, so not only we have this, these broken relationships, um, but it was it's you know it's a result of him worrying about himself. So he's like Ebenezer Scrooge. He's an Ebenezer Scrooge character. I don't know if you guys picked that up on either. This is a Christmas Carol telling, um, and so life revolves around the so many things he has. Uh around so many things he has. So the life the things in his life now direct it to the point, even though his stuff is secure, his soul, his nefish that's how I learned how to say it. I think Bailey Bailey wrote it differently. Uh his suke or psyche or psyche well, I don't want to say psyche because that, that people think of that in terms of mind. Um, that which makes him him is lost. So the word soul—I think Bailey does a good job of that, right? Soul is not just a disembodied spirit; it's it's you are what you are. Your soul makes you um, both body and spirit um, and mind. By the end of the passage, we see the man's initial question is irre- irrelevant to his life since he's already overwhelmed with stuff. His soul isn't about the one or few things that is God and his gift or gifts. Rather, his soul is in his stuff. So we come to the point now where we have this complete tragedy where a man is living literally in, in, in his stuff. There's a lot of poetic license you can, you can get with that. Anyways, let's leave it at that. Uh, so being rich toward God, what does this mean? Because Jesus at the end says, hey, everyone who's like this, so, so will you be, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and, not, and is not rich toward God. Well, what does it mean to be rich toward God? We, Jesus doesn't say. We don't know. Content, Content yeah. That's part of it, yeah. We've got to figure it out. Exactly right. So Jesus never says what it means to be rich toward God. The parable, he tells, is not designed to solve the problem, but to let us know we have a problem. And if the parable works to empty our lives of our so many things so that we are free to seek a different kind of richness, if we accept the challenge, that is like what Jesus is teaching in the midst of the chaos, then it will require some, something heroic of, our, of us. Heroic meaning... Um, Something beyond what we normally do. I don't, I don't think we're... I mean, we're not going to, like, be super people. Super men, Or women. Super girls or boys or super babies or anything. We will have to be focused, humble, content. You can name it. And altogether dedicated like an ox. So we're all ox, hopefully, today. If we ever want to find our spot... So now we got it here. So when we talk about so many things, I think in our life, although some of us might have so many things we probably need to get rid of, we have. I think a lot of us are. are, uh, It's not so much stuff as as uh, busyness, things we do. I'm so busy. I have so many things to do. So if you go back and look at this outline, you can add to do to a lot of things. And they'll be just as applicable as material possessions. I think this is very rampant here in Wheaton and west, the westerns, the page, I mean, western suburbs. Big deal. Yeah, Leslie. Right. Yep. Exactly. What we find out is that when we, quote unquote, get busy, what are we not able to do? We have relationships. We can't have a relationship. We can't, we can't think about things. But we have nobody to have a relationship to discuss things. Who is the only person we can talk with or contemplate with? Ourselves. Holy smokes. We're back at the parable now. Yeah, so possessions, stuff. However, many of us are overwhelmed by the so many things to do. I think being busy is a possession. It's a stuff which runs our lives. I mean, think about it. Um, a- cell phones are advertised, you know, in a way like they can help you get stuff done. Hey, you got to get this cell phone to get things done. Um, I need an iPad to get things done. You spend five hours work. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of irony there. Yes, that's right. I mean, so we think about how advertisers sell products. So now we're back to Fight Club now. Hopefully you keep that. if you kept that in the back of your mind? Because I have. It's right here. Is that um, Fight Club is a reaction against this. They have, there's no purpose now in these men's lives, even though they have, they have everything. I mean, they have everything they need. They, on the surface, it looks like everything is perfect but yet they have something very wrong with them. So the advertisers, how do you sell products? You know, you, you, They create a need, whether it's real or not, and you better fill it. And if you don't fill it, there's something wrong with you. You're not a good mom. Uh, you're, you're not a good worker. You're not productive. Um, and you know, maybe you're a little lazy or you don't care. Because if you really care about your kids, you're going to do this. So now, you know, so, oh, my gosh, now we have all this false guilt of ourselves. It's terrible. So what's happened now is as Jesus is along the path, the thing that's most important, which is Jerusalem, his departure, the saving of the world, and his disciples, any interruption that comes in does not dissuade Jesus from those two things. Not at all. In fact, he can use the, He's so good. He uses these things to help him even get to Jerusalem, which I, I don't know exactly how that works in our own lives. Sometimes it does, but most of the time, we get off track, and now our life becomes about this interruption, this thing, this possession, this busyness. And what? So I think life can be full of stuff without actually living life. I, I find it interesting. Um, entering into the elementary school life meeting parents of kids that my daughter goes to school with and you know how busy everybody is got to set up play dates cuz you just can't come over <laughs> but you live just two two houses from me can't we just come over sure. let's let's set up a play date now again i'm i'm kind of uh satirical or uh, I'm mocking this. A lot of it is true. I mean, you know, like for instance, we have seasons in our lives where we are busy. I mean, for a pastor, like Advent and Lent, they're busy. We have other things going on. However, um, it's not just seasons that people are. It's just that's the way of life now. It's just the way life is for them. And people are so busy. And on a certain extent, it, it is a one-upmanship because if you're not busy, then what? You, yeah, what? what's wrong with you? Like, are, you don't have that much going on in your life? You, and then as, you know, oftentimes as parents, it's like your kid has like eight million things to do and you're taking your kid everywhere and doing all these things. And if your kid's only in one or two, it's like, yeah, what, you don't, you don't do soccer, piano, language school, and theater? Like, what, what? Yeah exactly. yeah, exactly. Well, I actually, that's a whole other level. It's like it starts like at, at three. Like I mean, Isaac can, can be in like something every day of the week. I'm like, holy smokes, what's going on here? So uh, the man has so much stuff in his hands. So I think about it in terms of possession. And actually, I think this is really nice about uh, children too. Is that um, you got so many toys at home and and kids? Like uh, last night, I was thinking about this I, with Penelope, as Holly took Audrey to the doctor. Um, Isaac and I and Penelope were playing, and and Penelope just likes to, you know, they had uh, the the inkless markers. It's like the marker you write on the page, and the ink is on the page, so you don't... Mm -hmm. So I'm like, whatever, she can play with them. It doesn't matter. Well, no, no, she just wants to pick up the markers, because we have to always put the markers high, because if she gets them, then she might... Isaac was terrible, notorious for this. So... um, but she, now, she's grabbing all these markers because she's, she's never been allowed to play with them before. She thinks she's getting away with something. She's grabbing all these markers. Now, the thing is, though, um, uh, now it's time to go to bed. She's got all these markers, and she's got her Rosie, who she sleeps with. Now, wait. Like, how, do, how does this work? She can't, she's got to let go of something in order to get what's most important. Um, now, this example I did not get for myself. I got from Rob Bell. But anyways, that, that, I think that's, that's a great example, though, because I see it all the time now. Somebody, somebody pointed it out to me. I'm like, this is all over the place. We all have these little things where we grab things, and we can't actually grab hold of what's most important unless we let go of something else. Now, the thing is, though, is about being so busy with stuff. Oh, I'm so busy with stuff these days that we can't do what we need to. And that goes back to life as a gift. Good versus best. You're busy with good things, right? I mean, language school, uh, sports and theater and whatever, church gets lost in this, is that um, you're busy with good things, but when you keep expanding your schedule, include more, think about it in terms of building barns. Your life is now run by those things. It's no longer, you're, you're no longer living life. So Jesus is surrounded with all these good things. This interruption in his life was a good thing, good and right. I mean, he could have solved some issue. He could have done something. But he's not distracted. He keeps going. He stays with what's best. And he says no to it because he's already said yes. He's already said yes to what's most important. He's, he's about dis- Jerusalem and he's about his disciples. He's, this is a simple, simple life but it takes a lot of discipline to live it. And at the same time, you'll find out it will be completely full. When you let go of things, you are scared because you're losing something or your life won't be full or you are afraid of what people will say because you don't have so many things. But at the end of the day, you'll still be exhausted. But it will be a lot better. It will feel a lot better be exhausted because it's been so full. So you can't live Jesus' way when you, you're so busy and when you have so much stuff. I mean that's 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 the point of the parable is that as a disciple, you can't live this way. You you gotta you gotta let go. Not only with material possessions, but with schedules, with whatever. And you gotta do what's best. I mean according to, to so Jesus is it's the church and it's it's home. It's 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 God and his family these are the most important things that are happening. And for Jesus though, that's makes that makes his life. That's it. There is nothing more to that. That's everything. And I think that, that's something for us as we contemplate how in our own life that's how we need to live. And I find some fun, anybody know the, the group fun? I mean, yes. I I can't remember. This is right. This is right. You did, Mary. Fun is the name of a group, a a popular band, I guess, now. And they have a a song called Some Nights. It's very fun. Um, But the song is about not knowing what they stand for. And there's, like, this kind of honest kind of confession about, I've been told that I should stand for my country and, like, war, but I'm not so sure about that. That, that. That hasn't really satisfied me. Um... And even, like, he's given up his family for something, and he, he's not really sure that's really right. And So I, I find that interesting. That It's a popular song because it's, like, so fun to listen to, but I think on another level it's, like, actually speaking something important. So the thing is, though, so, is that Fight Club, and that, that's kind of the, the, the sadness at the end of the movie, is that Fight Club doesn't actually help you live. Jesus is called the discipleship helps you live. That's the reality. And there's a nice quote from... Uh, Barbara Taylor Brown. Um, my guess is that every person here has a different purpose, a different way of being rich toward God. Some people really do need to quit their soul deadening, deadening jobs and find their work that is richer in purpose. But a whole lot of other people, and I think this is the actually nine out of ten times, a whole lot of other people could wake up to the purpose that is available to them in their lives right now. One of the saddest things in the world is to talk with someone who believes that what he or she does is small change in God's pocket, not even worth counting. As far as I can tell, there is no such thing. The world is in terrific need of mending, and no such stitch is too small. Very nice, right? (sighs) Yeah, um... Because, you know, I see so many, I, I, again, this is like through my daughter's interaction with elementary school. I, I, see, I see so many people who are like busy folk. I mean, they're Christians. Most of them are Christians. And yet they're, they're not content. They're, they actually don't count what they do as worthy for, for living. They've got to find something else, find something more. And it's just not true. It's, just, it's a lie. Because God has called you to a spot to 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 live. And Luther will have have like three realms or three spots. But really really is one I mean one is enough. I mean this is so and that can that can be your life. So mother whatever mother you know uh, Christian that this kind of the three realms is the the church family and the the state for Luther and that, that's it. I mean, that, that can occupy your life. But the, um, I think what the parable does is help us wake up to the reality that we just need this one thing. And if we stay on that, we'll actually find a full life. So, I don't know. Any questions? I'm done. So oh, you can read the last thing if you want. but. right and what i think one of the great things is is that it is it is outlook and and confidence and contentness that you know even if, if you're whatever you're doing that people will see and realize holy smokes that they're that person is doing the same thing i'm doing i hate my life this person loves their life what is going on here um Because, I I mean, that is just something pervasive, where, like, I see it when people interact with my wife. She's not here, so I'll talk about her. (laughs) Is that, uh, you know, she, uh, first of all, she's a great mom, she's a great wife, all that stuff, but, yeah, she's a good cook, is that people brush up against her, and they're surprised that that she's, uh, you know, she, she struggles with everybody else, but she's, there's a certain contentness to her that people are kind of confused by. Uh, longer story ago, before we got married, Holly lived with an elderly lady. Um, Charlotte or Char. 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 We'll just call her Char. And uh, Char, Char says to Holly, uh, this lady would take in girls, Christian girls, that you know were kind of in between college and their career and would rent uh, like the one side of her house to them. It, but Char always saw it as a, to, a time for mentoring. Holly was the first one, and she's probably had 10 to, to a dozen girls live with her over years, where she never had to do anything because Holly was content. She didn't come into her house like <laughs> needy and and looking for something and uh that was very helpful for me to, to actually to kind of first of all i i thought that was really beautiful um but on top of that though that always stuck in my head is how i see other people who interact with even us as a family we're we're pretty comfortable being a family i mean i love being a dad i love being a husband i love just being my, i love my family is that it's okay to be just my family it's okay to be where I'm at I'm not interested in surfing the internet when I'm at the pool with my kids or or whatever Um, is that people find that interesting and confusing all at the same time but that's what Jesus is that's what Jesus does to us and I think the barber the Barbara Taylor Brown quote is perfect because it requires nothing except for waking up and seeing what's happening And if you want to keep reading the Gospel of Luke, that's what happens in Luke chapter 24, where the disciples' eyes are revealed to what's in front of them, and then they get it. So, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses,